Please turn in your Old Testament to the book of Ruth, chapter 4. We're finishing the series. This is the fifth and final sermon in the series entitled The Romance of Redemption from the book of Ruth. Somebody asked me last week what kind of a person was Boaz before he met Ruth? He was ruthless. After today, he'll no longer be ruthless. Right over the top of chapter 1 of Ruth, the word weeping, if you haven't already, I want to give you a little running start into chapter 4. That's where we'll be today. We'll look at all of the chapter. Uh, but uh, over the chapter 1 is weeping because that's the word that describes the atmosphere in chapter 1. You'll remember that Elimelech and Naomi, a Jewish couple who had two sons, Malon and Kilion, uh, were experiencing a famine in Bethlehem, which means house of bread. The famine had come because of God's discipline upon the children of Israel because of their turning to idolatry and sin and the neglect of the law and will of God. When God sends discipline upon His children, He doesn't mean it to drive them away from him. He means it to drive them to him. But Elimelech and Naomi did exactly the opposite. They ran away from the discipline of God. And where they ran to was a city or place called Moab. Moab, a colloquial way of expressing what that means, is God's garbage can. Uh, and so they, they left and went to the garbage can, intending to stay but a short time, ended up staying ten years, there Elimelech died, Malon died, and Kilion died. So there's a lot of weeping in chapter 1. And what's left at the end of the chapter are, are three widows. Orpha, one of them, returned back to the garbage can, back to her gods, back to her people. But Ruth determined that she was going to go back to the house of bread with Naomi, her mother-in-law. In fact, Ruth 1.16 tells us that Ruth embraced Naomi's God. She was converted in Ruth 1, 16 and 17. They go back to the house of bread, and Naomi is a very disappointed and bitter woman. She says, don't call me Naomi, which means pleasant, but call me Mara, which means bitterness. Now, when we get to chapter 2, right over chapter 2, the word working. Weeping, now working. Because chapter 2 is a, is a, a chapter that describes the hard work ethic of this Moabite daughter-in-law who has returned to Bethlehem with Naomi. She chooses to go out into the barley harvest and uh, to glean behind the harvesters all that they leave on the ground uh, because the law of Moses said that the harvesters were supposed to leave some in the corners of the field and not to take everything for themselves but to leave some for the poor. And so Naomi allows Ruth to go into the fields and kind of put into motion the social security system of the Jews, which was gleaning. During chapter 2, she, fall, she meets the owner of the field, Boaz, and, uh, and Boaz begins to look at her with a lot of interest. And over chapter 2, we see kind of a love relationship developing. But since Boaz is an older man, he's very reluctant 
to pursue the relationship because he thinks that, that Ruth, a young widow, would, uh, would prefer a younger man. And so he is not very uh, aggressive in pursuing that relationship. Kind of like a wedding I did many years ago. I was thankful it was a small wedding and not a, ch- a church packed out with folks, but we were up at the front in the altar, and we'd come to that part in the wedding ceremony where I was to ask to the, the groom if he would take the bride. And I said, not calling his name, but I said, will you take you to be your lawfully wedded wife? Absolute silence. I mean, you could hear a pin drop. Finally, he said, I can't do it. I just can't do it. Well, I didn't know whether to spit or kick rocks. I'd never had that happen in a wedding before. And so we, try, we tried it the second time, and he got to that point. He said, I just can't do it. And then I made one of the biggest mistakes. I gave him a third time. And he did it. And he shouldn't have did it. Because the, the, the relationship didn't last long. Well, that's the part with Boaz was just saying, I can't do it. You know, I, I, I love her. I obviously loved her. But she probably refers a, refers a younger man. So at the end of chapter 2, uh, uh, Naomi, the mother-in-law, is beginning to pick up the clues that Boaz is not picking up. And, and so she sets in motion a plan. And in chapter 3, we saw it last week, right over chapter 3, waiting. Weeping, working, waiting. Waiting is the op- operative word of chapter 3. Because Naomi hatches this plan that uh, Ruth is to go out, uh, uh, you know, after after um, uh, it gets dark and after he's had a hard day of, of, of work, and uh, as soon as he lays down to go to sleep, Boaz lays down to go to sleep, she's to watch where he lays, and after he's asleep, she's to slip up and get under, the co- just pull the cover back so his feet will get cold and he'll eventually wake up, and to lay down at his feet. Remember we talked about getting at the feet of him who has the right to redeem. Because you see, Boaz was an interesting character because he was related to Elimelech, the one who died down in the garbage can, which meant he had the right to redeem the, uh, the widow, Naomi, and the daughter-in-law, Ruth. And so when, his, when he woke up, said, who, is, who are you? And she said, I'm Ruth. And remember what happened? She asked him, she proposed to him, literally is what she did. She said, uh, I'm, I'm asking you to cover me with your wings. That's a good way of putting it. Cover me with your, with your cloak. That's tantamount to saying, will you take the right to redeem, and will you become my kinsman redeemer? And Boaz replied immediately. I don't know if he said it like this or not, but he said, man, yeah. You know, something like that. In the Hebrew, I think it was a little different from that. But he said, uh, he said I, I would love to. But then he added one little caveat. He said, but there's one problem. There's one person that's closer related than me. And so we've got to deal with him before I can, before I can he's got to have the, the, the right of, of to, first to redeem you. And if he refuses to do that, then it'll be my part. Now, we come to the end of chapter 3 with Naomi saying to Ruth, you just rest here, my child. Make sure he'll take care of everything he has to do. All right, now we come to chapter 4. Right over chapter 4, the word wedding. The word wedding. That's where we're going to pick up today. And with your, with your Old Testament open there, 
to Ruth chapter 4. I want us to begin reading in chapter 1. And would you stand with me as we just going to, we're not going to read the whole chapter, we're going to eventually get to it, but uh, let's read the opening 10 verses of Ruth chapter 4. Now Boaz had gone up to the gate, now that's immediately from the threshing floor where he's been with, uh, with Ruth all night, and, uh, and sat down there, and behold the Redeemer of whom Boaz had spoken, that's the one that's closer related, whom Boaz had spoken, came by. So Boaz said, turn aside, friend, uh, sit down here. Now, interesting thing, this man is never named, this closer Redeemer. He's never named. O U 1 is what he's called. He's, he's never named. Uh, and he turned aside and sat down. And he took ten men of the elders of the city and said, Sit down here. So they sat down. Then he said to the Redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech, your relative and mine. So I thought I would tell you of it and say, Buy it in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not, tell me that I may know, for there is no one besides you to redeem it, and I come after you. And he said, and I believe this broke Boaz's heart, I will redeem it. Whoa. Then Boaz said, this is Boaz, now this is not a good Baptist statement, but this is Boaz's ace up his sleeve. He's got an ace up his sleeve. He said, uh, and he said, I will redeem it. Then Boaz said, the day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. Then the Redeemer said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption yourself, for I cannot redeem it. We'll stop there. Would you be seated, please? This is the Word of God. I want you to notice with me, first of all, the litigation that's involved in this wedding that can change or will change time and eternity. I use the word litigation as a legal term because the gate was really the courthouse of that day. All, uh, all uh, uh, exchanges and, and uh, deeds were dealt with there and land issues and, and, and problems enter. enter family problems, they were dealt with by the judges and by the elders at the gate. And the cities of Israel were known for the way they walled in their cities in a very tight way, but they left an open space at the gate so that uh, the, uh, the kings would often bring their, their uh, uh, thrones to the gate. And you'll remember that when Absalom was trying to start a coup d'etat against his father David, uh, then he, he stayed at the gate and when people would come and go, he would insinuate to them what a better king he would be than David. And the scripture says he won the hearts of the people. All of that took place 
at, at the gate. And, and, and Boaz came immediately to the gate after Ruth had proposed to him. Why? Well, not because of business, but because of his bride. All of a sudden, his priorities changed. He could have stayed and taken his grain to, to the market or got, gotten it stored, but he left it and came immediately to the gate. And uh, he was waiting for this, this nearer relative to come so he could get it settled. Now, there were two issues at hand. One was the land, and one was the hand. The land that belonged previously to Elimelech had obviously been sold when they moved to the garbage can down at Moab. Now, apparently, he did not sell it to a relative, but rather he, he out of poverty, was took perhaps first uh, for, uh, whoever offered him or whatever, but somehow they've lost the land. We, we're not given the details. And so the land has to be redeemed. Now, in order to redeem the land, to be a kinsman redeemer, three things were necessary. Number one, you had to be a relative. Number two, you had to be able. You had to have the resources to buy the land back or to take care of, uh, of the family, uh, of the widow, whoever you got. So you had to be related and you had to be able. And then thirdly, you had to be willing. All three things were necessary in order to be a kinsman redeemer. And so Boaz is checking him out, checking this near relative out to see if he meets all three qualifications. Well, number one, he is a relative. In fact, he's a nearer relative than Boaz. So the question is, is he able? Does he have the resources that will allow him to buy back the land and to take Ruth? And apparently he does have the resources. So he meets the first two qualifications. But here's the question, is he, is he willing to do it? And so when he first poses the land issue to this nearer relative, the relative says, I will redeem it. That's when Boaz's heart sunk. So then he pulled out his other option. He said, well, I just need to tell you this little detail. If you take the land, you also got to take the hand. If you take the land, then you've got to take the hand of Ruth, as and you've got to exercise the right of kinsman redeemer, which means you've got to become her husband, and the first son that's born of that union will become really not your son, but will become the son of the deceased Malon. And so when the man heard that, he began to backtrack. He wanted the land, but he didn't want the hand. Now, why would he not want the hand? Well, there's a number of reasons. Uh, you know, Elimelech, uh, rather Malon and Kilion, didn't fare too well after they married Moabites. Remember? They, they both died. It could be that when he was accepting the right of first refusal to the land, he thought that the, he was becoming the kinsman redeemer to Naomi. And she was past childbearing age, so the, the issue of a son would not be an issue at all. And maybe he began to think, well, if I marry this woman, Ruth, and she has a son, guess who's going to become heir to the land? I'm, I'm not going to, I'm going to pay for it, and then I'm going to turn right around and turn it over to him. And, and so he began to reason. And you see, uh, Boaz wasn't reasoning. It wasn't reason that was driving Boaz, it was love. But reason was driving this man. And as he began to reason through it, he said, I, I cannot redeem it. I, and he said it twice, remember, I cannot 
redeem it. So he didn't fill all three qualifications of being a kinsman redeemer. He was related, he was able, but he was not willing. Now, here's what I want you to see. The same qualities in this kinsman redeemer for Ruth is the same qualities that are in our kinsman redeemer, the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, just as Boaz was the redeemer, kinsman redeemer for Ruth, Jesus Christ is our kinsman redeemer. Now, does Jesus fit all three qualifications? Well, let's just, let's just check them off. Number one, is he related? Is he related, church? Absolutely he is. The writer of Hebrews says that he has bone of our bone, flesh of our flesh, that he took on flesh and, and so that he could become fully human. Jesus Christ is fully human as well as fully God. And, and that's why the virgin birth was necessary. That's why Christmas was necessary. So Jesus could become human without the sin nature. Because if he had been born a sinner, then he would have had to die for his own sin. But since he was born without sin, then he could die vicariously for your sin and mine. So he was related. Jesus is related. The Scripture says he was, he was tempted in all points like we are, yet without sin. The Scripture says in Hebrews 4.15, we don't have a high priest which cannot be touched by the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. So he was, he was related. Number two, was he able? Was Jesus able to pay the price? Listen to this. 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19. For we are not redeemed with silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Jesus Christ, as of a lamb without spot and without blemish. You see, he was able because his precious blood is the currency of heaven. And his precious blood paid the price for all of our sins. So he was able. He was related. Now the question is, was he willing? Is Jesus willing to be our kinsman redeemer? Is he willing to be your kinsman redeemer? You say, well, I, I don't know about that. Hey, I, 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 if he just knew what I'd done, if he knew everything that I'd gone through, if he knew how many times I'd broken his law and his will, I don't know if he would be willing or not. Well, listen, my dear friend. Listen to this. 2 Peter 3, 9. The Lord is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Now, we move from this litigation thing to this negotiating thing. Look at number two. In, in verse 7 through 12, he talks about the price that was paid. And I want to pick it up in, in verse 7. Now, this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging to confirm a transaction. The one drew off his sandal and gave it to the other. This was the manner of attesting in Israel. So when the Redeemer said to Boaz, buy it for yourself, he drew off his sandal. Then Boaz said to the elders and to all the people, you are witnesses this day that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belong to Elimelech and all that belong to Kilion and Malon. Also Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Malon, I have bought to be my wife to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. Now, folks, there's a name missing. 
Who is it? Orpha. Her name is not there. Why? Remember, she made a choice to walk away and go back to the garbage can. She made a conscious, willful choice to not follow Naomi and Ruth back to the house of bread, but to turn around and go back to the garbage can. Do you realize that Orpha could have also been a recipient of this kinsman redeemer? She could have also been a part of the blessings of God that came through Boaz, the human redeemer. And this is just challenging us. This is saying to us, he says here, I bought everything that Elimelech lost. I bought everything that Malon lost. I bought everything that Kilion lost. Now, I don't, this is above my pay grade and I don't fully understand it. But I believe this, that, that the, the work of the Redeemer, Jesus Christ, is just as extensive as the work of the fall of man in Adam. That everything Adam lost, Jesus Christ can regain. Now, not everybody will be saved. And the Lord certainly knows those that will reject him. And I, 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 I'm leaving that in his hands. That's a, that's a two-track railroad train. I can't ever make it come together. But I can just trust God. That one, one talks about the responsibility of man. One talks about the sovereignty of God. And I live with that tension. And I don't mind it. Because I'm so glad I've got a God I can't figure out. Amen. Amen. And so it's my job to to preach the gospel and extend a whosoever will. And so here he says he bought back everything that Malon had lost, he bought it back. Everything Elimelech lost, he bought it back. Everything Chilion lost, he bought it back. You see, our Redeemer, the blood of Jesus Christ, is able to save all who will repent and put their trust in Him. My dear friend, if you're here today without salvation, you can't blame God. If you're here without salvation, you can't say, well, God didn't include me. Listen, dear friend, here's my question. If you want to be saved, you can be saved. If you want to be saved, you can be saved. Jesus said, how many times I would have gathered you under my wings and you would not. I would. You wouldn't. You can't blame God. You can't. Today... His blood is sufficient to save the world. It is efficient only in those that repent and believe. Will you repent? Will you believe? Will you come and get at the feet of Him who has the right to redeem? My dear friend, if you will do that, He will save you. Getting at the feet of Him who has the right to redeem. Now, notice what what happens. In in Deuteronomy, I'm going to take a little little time to to go a little deeper in this. This is, I've thought about this all week. In Deuteronomy 25, it adds another caveat. Uh, I want to read beginning in Deuteronomy 25, verse 8. If brothers dwell together and one of them dies and has no son, the wife of the dead man shall not be married outside the family to a stranger. Her husband's brother shall go into her and take her as his wife and perform the duty of a husband's brother to her. And the first son whom she bears shall succeed to the name of the dead brother that his name may not be blotted out of Israel. And if the man does not wish to take his brother's wife, then his brother's wife shall go up to the gate to the elders 
and say, My husband's brother refuses to perpetuate his brother's name in Israel. He will not perform the duty of a husband's brother to me. In other words, he's not going to be my kinsman redeemer. He refuses. He's able, he's related, but he's not willing. Then the elders of his city, of this city, shall call him and speak to him. And if he persists, saying, I do not wish to take her, then his brother's wife shall go up to him in the presence of the elders and pull his sandal off his foot and spit in his face. Now, you see, by the time of Ruth, that had been reduced to simply taking the sandal off and giving it to the other person. That was a symbol that you were giving the right of that land for him to walk over and it belongs to him. As Joshua said in Joshua chapter 3, he said, everywhere your foot falls, that will be your inheritance. And so that was the part of the sandal. But what about this spitting deal? Ruth doesn't mention that, but the Old Testament does. How does that relate to our kinsman redeemer? She said, you're to take the sandal off and you're to spit in his face. When she spat in his face, here's what she was saying to that would-be kinsman redeemer. She was saying, you refuse to be to me all you were supposed to be. You refused to exercise your right as kinsman redeemer. And she spat in his face. That was a sign of disgust and shame. You didn't do what I wanted you to do. Now, fast forward to Calvary. I think it's six times the gospel says concerning Jesus as he hung on the cross, they spat on him. What were they doing? Remember, these are Jews. They are related, they they know their word, they know their history. To spit on Jesus was meaning more than just, I hate you. To spit on Jesus meant the same thing that would have meant. You didn't do what we expected you to do. You were not the kind of Savior we wanted you to be. You were supposed to overthrow Rome. You were to make us be prominent again as a nation. We we were to be a kingdom again. You were to rule politically and you didn't do it. They spat in his face. Whenever we say to our heavenly Redeemer, you're not the kind of Savior I wanted you to be. Spit in his face, not physically, but spiritually. I'm going to save myself, thank you. You spit in his face. Every time you try to go to heaven, the law route or some other route, You'll never make it. You're spitting in his face. And that leads me to this. Who was that other redeemer? Who was that nearer kinsman redeemer? Well, I don't have time to develop it, but I I just want to drop it in your heart for thought. My personal conviction is that that nearer kinsman redeemer represents the law of God. Now, the law is related because it's the law of God. It's His very character. The law is not only uh, related, the law is able. The law can save us if we do what? Keep all the law all the time. 
You with me? In Galatians chapter 3, you just read it. In Galatians chapter 3, verses 10 through 15, he talks about if we're going to go to heaven the law route, we got to keep all the law all the time. If you're going to go to heaven, let me tell you something. Let me, uh, let me just jar you a little bit. If you plan to go to heaven by your good works and keeping the law, my precious friend, you're too late. You're too late. Let me ask you this. Have you ever broken one of the commandments? Is there anybody here that hadn't broken at least one? I don't think so. What about two? <laughs> We're not going to go any further because I think, I think you get the point. Not any of us are guiltless. Listen to James 2.10. For whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point is guilty of all. Does that throw terror in your heart? It should if you're going to try to go to heaven by your good works. It should if you're going to try to go to heaven by keeping the law. Because, you see, let's just take the Ten Commandments and let's just picture it this way. We're, we're hanging by a ten-link chain from a helicopter over a fiery volcano. Got that picture? Ten-link chain hanging from a helicopter over a fiery volcano. Here's my question. How many links in that chain do you have to cut before you fall? One. How many times do you have to break a commandment to be a sinner? One. My friend, that includes all of us. Because the Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. You see, the law is related. The law is able if you keep all of it. But is the law willing? Yes. The law will save you if you keep all of it all the time and you never offend in one point. But here's the problem. Nobody can do that. There's never been but one person who kept all the law all the time. And that person was Jesus Christ. And that's why he is qualified to be our kinsman redeemer. For what, we could not, what the law could not do in that it was weak according to the flesh, Jesus did by living a sinless life and then going to the cross and dying in your place and in mine. So we have our kinsman redeemer, Jesus Christ. Do you know him? How do you get to know him? You get at the feet of him who has the right to redeem. Well, that takes care of the negotiation. We've got to move quickly now. These others won't take very long. The declaration. Look, look at verses 9 and 10. Uh, Ruth um, chapter 4, verses 9 and 10. He says, um, Then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, You are witnesses this day that I have bought from the hand of of Naomi. Now, this is what I call a declaration. These witnesses were there to make this transaction a legal thing. He says, I want all of you to know, I am buying back the land, everything that Malon, Chilion, and Elimelech lost. This declaration, how sad that the name Orpha is missing because she chose to walk back to the garbage can. Well, 
the benediction, verses 11 and 12. This is the benediction. She said, Then all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah. Now, who are Rachel and Leah? They are the mothers of the 12 tribes. And so he's saying, May the Lord make you prolific. <laughs> may you have many children who together built up the house of Israel. May you act worthily in Ephrathah and renowned in Bethlehem. And may your house be like the house of Perez. Now, what is that? What's that all about? Well, Perez is, the chi- is a child who is the result of a kinsman redeemer relationship. And so he throws Perez in here just to say, as God has done it in the past, may he do it in the future. All right? And then he's saying, and may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah, because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young man. Verse 13, we move to actually to the celebration. Here's, here's verse 13. Here's the celebration. This is what we've been waiting for all the time. Uh, he says, so Boaz took Ruth, and she became the wife, and he went in unto her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. Now listen, folks. I think within 24 hours, she was pregnant. It, it, it just gives that impression. Now, that's amazing because how long had she been married to Malon? Ten years. Ten years living in the garbage can, no fruit. You see, there's never any fruit produced when you hang out in the garbage can. But once she got out of the garbage can, came back to the house of bread, got at the feet of him who has the right to redeem, Here comes a child. And there is celebration where there had once been bitterness and defeat. Celebration that God had kept his promise and God was leaving them a kinsman redeemer. And that kinsman redeemer was going to be in the line of the kinsman redeemer, Jesus Christ. And that brings me to my last point, and I'm going to close here. But I want you to look beyond the celebration to the resolution. These are the last few verses in the book of Ruth. And they they seem so odd. In fact, uh, some Bible scholars struggle with why it's here. Uh, And it seems so out of place. It it looks like the the book should have ended at uh, 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 verse 17. It says, and the women of the neighborhood gave him a name, talking about the baby. A son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Now, it seemed like the book should have ended right there. But he comes on and gives two, three other verses. And this is what I'm, I'm calling the resolution. These three verses are where the book has been aiming all the time. This is why the book was written. Look at it. Verse 18. These are the generations of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron. Hezron fathered Ram. Ram fathered Amenadab. Amenadab fathered Nashon. Nashon fathered Salmon. Salmon fathered 
Boaz. Wow. That's a familiar name. Boaz fathered Obed. Obed fathered Jesse. And Jesse fathered, say it with me, church, David. Don't just pass over that. What this book is doing is setting the stage for the birth of the greatest kinsman redeemer, the Lord Jesus Christ. Because this lady who was a condemned Moabite becomes the great, great grandmother of the greatest king in Israel's history, King David. And King David becomes the great, 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 great grandfather of Jesus Christ. My dear friend, that just makes me want to shout in my heart to know that God pays so close detail to the affairs of man. That God is weaving and working His purpose out providentially in a way we sometimes can't see, taste, feel, or hear. But He's doing it. Now in closing, I just want to ask you to turn to Ruth chapter 5 just for a moment. Ruth chapter 5. You there? (laughs) Ruth chapter 5, let me paraphrase it for you. Ruth chapter 5 says, one day Boaz got up and he looked out the window of the kitchen. And there Ruth was walking down the path, going away from the house. And so Boaz hollered at her and said, Ruth, where are you going? And she responded, thou dost not know where I'm going. I put a little King James in there. (laughs) I am going back to the garbage can. I need a little break. You see that anywhere? You'll never find a chapter 5. You'll never find Ruth wanting to go back to the garbage can. You see, everything she wants and needs and longs for and hopes for, she finds in her relationship with Jesus Christ, the heavenly Boaz. Her Boaz took care of all her needs. Our Boaz takes care of all of our needs. Do you know him? I'm so glad there's no chapter 5 in Ruth. I'm glad it stops where it stops. My dear friend, if you don't know your heavenly Boaz, Jesus Christ, here's what I want to encourage you to do. By faith, get at the feet of him who has the right to redeem you. It's a right he has earned because he paid the price of his own precious blood. He paid the penalty for your sins and mine. He has earned the right to be our Redeemer through the cross of Calvary and the subsequent resurrection, which we'll talk about this Friday, Saturday, and Sunday.